We do it every week. It's called Win Tickets Wednesday. Listen this Wednesday for your chance to win tickets to the Goo Goo Dolls. Goo Goo Dolls are hitting the road this summer with special guests, Lifehouse and Forrest Black on the Miracle Pill Summer Tour. Don't miss your chance to experience it live on Tuesday, July 28th at USANA Amphitheater. Tickets are on sale now. Purchase your tickets at LiveNation.com. And, of course, we'll be giving away tickets this Wednesday. All right, we've been talking a lot of jazz and BYU. And we've got to mix in some spring football because it is starting for the Utes and Cougars and Aggies and everybody who's involved in that. And joining us now from the Deseret News is Dick Harmon. He comes to us on the Sprint special guest line. Lease any I lease any phone and get an iPad or Samsung Tab A for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the Sprint store nearest you. Mr. Harmon, good morning. How the heck are you? Good morning, PK. How are you? <laughs> you know, I am doing great. This is a great time of year now. We got most of the winter behind us. A golf season in northern Utah is fast approaching. You and I are always excited about that. And we've got a combination of uh, NCAA basketball, spring football. You know, we've been following. You've been following it much longer than I have. But certainly I've been following BYU basketball now for a good long time. And what do you think from your observation point has made Mark Pope be as good as he is? You know, that, that's a great question because well, I think I think maybe the first thing you need to say and give give, give credit to seven seniors. Um, it's been a long, long time since we always had seven seniors. They've had, you know, Mika and, and others that have left before their senior year. So to have these seven seniors is really key to build upon but you got to give Mark Pope all the credit in the world for coming in with tremendous energy and focus, design. He built chemistry, friendships, took him over to Europe, uh, kind of got all that stuff uh, solidified. The role-playing model on this team is is really upper level, and uh, getting them playing uh, tougher defense, a brand of defense that is not only effective but is taking a lot of teams out of their offense at crunch time. And, you know, the guy has got it. He, he's an all-around uh, community guy. He's got the fans involved, the students. He's reached out to former players like he did at Utah Valley. You might remember that he reached out to Travis Hansen and got him to donate a, a whole weight room at Utah Valley. And uh, he, he's that kind of guy. He's, he's worth every penny uh, that they're paying him right now because to take this team, which was struggling with a lot of injuries and uh, suspension, to get them to where they are with what they've been through is just sort of a miracle. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, it really is incredible to, to watch them play and to see their toughness both physically and mentally has been impressive. There's a whole bunch of storylines there. Uh, you talked about the role playing. It seems like he must give some type of animal pills to Nixon and Celius to, to turn these guys into just animals when they get out on that floor, you know, and they don't have primary roles, but nevertheless, the roles that they play are extremely important. And I can argue just there's a whole bunch of stuff, but I can argue those two guys are the biggest difference makers so far in the way that they're playing off the bench. Yeah, there's no question. I think you, you really hit it there. And it's interesting to see what he's done, not, not so much behind the scenes because we don't get to see that, but what he'll do is he'll single out one of those two guys in a press conference or a media gaggle, and he'll just praise the heck out of them and say, these guys are the reason we're, we're, we're winning, and, and those guys just 
it turns on a switch on them. They glow. They're getting credit for what they do. So when they come in, you know, they, they turn into barracudas, and there's not a big drop-off. In some cases, their energy level has come in and actually started a little bit of a run, you know, a seven- or eight-point run when they've come in the game. So definitely, I think that is uh, you know, the, the sixth and seventh men coming in and, and playing the stretch four or just, you know, even playing center of the position and, and guarding somebody or, you know, going off the pick and roll and making baskets. It's uh, it's kind of, you know, you just don't think you're going to get that much out of those players coming off the bench, but he's turned them into to very valuable players, maybe even having futures. How about Hawes in terms of, you know, this big expectation, this outrageous expectation for these Lone Peak guys? And here he is, the last lone – I call him the last Lone Peak survivor and (laughs) to be able to be out there. And yet, you know, he's playing steady. He's playing above steady. I mean, he had 13 assists and two turnovers. Those are incredible numbers in college basketball. We know about the big shots. The thing that I like is he's shown really no attitude along the way because – he could have become surly and just turned inward, but yet he still seems like the same dude that he was three years ago. Even though now he's playing so much better. Well, he is. He, I think you hit it on the head. He, he seems to get more out of himself now. It's almost like, and I heard Steve Cleveland talking a little earlier. You know, the pressure of running this team and being a team leader and doing everything and having everything come together is a little bit off of him. He can concentrate on that pick and roll and making the right decision and then, uh, you know, getting the ball to somebody that he knows can make it. And then, you know, that's a 44% three-point shooter in in, uh, Jake uh, Toulson. I mean, if you have those kind of weapons on your team – you know, and all of a sudden with Alex Barcelo, he doesn't have to, to to guard as much, but he's a better defender than he's ever been in his career. So he his all-around game has just up to the point where he's become extremely efficient at what he does. Um, and talking to some of the players on this pick and roll, I mean, he's become an elite passer in setting up that play, and it's a very hard thing to do. You and I remember back in the days of uh, Stockton and Malone and how effective that was. I'm not saying that they're that good, but they're getting close to being effective as a college duo and really running that play to where it really stresses the defense. And when you can go that and have that go-to play in your in your back pocket with seven minutes to go against the defense that's uh, really really fatigued and fragmented, um, it, it does it goes a long way. And I think that's what will help them in the NCAA tournament because. The WCC teams have uh, WCC teams have had a chance to scout that and to play against it and defend it. But when you get in the NCAs, you don't have a lot of time, a lot of film, and you know to prepare for that kind of thing. And that's why they probably can be effective in a run if they get going. Is, is teams are going to struggle to defend that? Dick Carmen, Desert News, joining us. You know Mark Pope's charisma; it's definitely there. You know, you go down to i've been to a couple games you go to a media session he'll pat you on the back thanks for coming and it, you know he reminds me sort of like a lower level jim boylan in terms of charisma with the crowd and the players now that stuff blew up in jim boylan's face uh, because it didn't work over the long term it found out that it was actually very shallow the go utes grabbing the microphone and all that stuff pope hasn't grab grab the microphone but he has that charisma uh, how long do you think that this can last 
as far as him being able to rally around and because he's got he he walked in obviously to an ideal situation now he deserves all the credit as you say but he did walk and dave rose left him a great situation here let's make no mistake about it he's not working miracles he brought he had some talent available but i'm wondering now that charisma and all the stuff that he has to be able to build a program how much do you have faith in him and how long do you think that can last for him to be able to do that you know that's a great question, but I think it goes back to recruiting, and we've already seen he got he got Jake Toulson to come and follow him, and maybe that wasn't a big sell uh, to do that, but that was huge. Black Player of the Year. And then here's the big one. He got Yoli Childs, who was out the door, never to come back, was not coming back, to come back. It cost him a nine-game suspension, but he pulled that off. So I'm thinking it boils down to recruiting. You don't always in this game in college, you're not going to get five or six or seven or 10, you know, really top recruits on one squad, but you only need one or two. And, you know, you can complement that with three or four or five, but you need to get one or two on a 13 man squad to really make a difference. So I'm thinking that if he can recruit and keep this thing rolling uh, and bring in some, either some seniors uh, transfers or, JC guys or, or some high school guys coming back off missions. Uh, this Dallin Hall is, you know, an example up there at Fremont. The guy just stopped the charts. If he can somehow get a commitment out of him in the next few months, uh, you know, then I think that he can prove to BYU fans that he can build things, sustain things, and I think he can keep it going. You think now, though, because they've had not quite a dream season because there's still work to be done, and the pressure is going to be ramped up on them. They were sort of uh, under the radar a little bit. Gonzaga's always getting the attention, and then, you know, they lose early to St. Mary's, and he always been out, but now he's come back. And what are they? They're like 16-2 and two since he's been back in the lineup, and obviously that's a phenomenal winning percentage. And so now they're expected to get to the conference final and compete with Gonzaga. And then the following week when they get in the NCAA tournament, they're expected to win. How do you think they'll handle it being in a different situation as far as expectation relative to where they were earlier in the season? And I I think the pressure is mounting on them and that could be a negative. I, I think the things that I've seen though in the last two weeks is he's targeted a couple of things. He's made the team better at executing in practice number one. And then number two, those little stretches where BYU's kind of faltered. Um, they did they did it at uh, St. Mary's. They did it at uh, uh, San Francisco. They did it against Utah, where they, where they kind of struggled in, in a little bit of a setting. They did it against Gonzaga. But he's got them fighting through their frustrations and it's energized the team. And I think that those two things that they've worked on are kind of carrying them right now. He's always adding things to the menu to give him something to pick up on and to work on to get better. This team's a far better team than it was two weeks ago, and they're missing Kevin Nixon. Dalton Nixon, but we get your point. Kevin's yeah, the father. father. Uh, well, <laughs> no, Kevin didn't go on the last world trip, so they, they missed him, I guess. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, Dal- nice. Dalton Nixon's, Dal Nixon's not out there, and they're, they're getting better. That, that's unbelievable. Yeah, and you've been around this university and this athletic program for as long or longer than everybody, speaking of Dick Harmon. Uh, with that in mind, Mark Pope, he's been around. He played in the NBA. He's coached other places. He's not this so-called Utah guy that or BYU guy, I should say, Utah, the state of Utah, where they bring in these guys who almost have no experience 
and and it takes them like Bronco Mendenhall, you know, had no experience as a head coach and it took him 10 years to build up a resume and he built up a pretty good resume and then he cashes in over at Virginia. Uh, and you look at uh, Kalani's in the process of building it. Uh, Steve Cleveland built it. Dave Rose built it. And then they got offers and we know Steve left, Dave didn't. But my point is, somebody is likely to come after Mark Pope uh, sooner rather than later because he comes into it with a resume and a name recognition that some of these other coaches didn't have and it took a while for them to get him, get them. So even after only one year, I would suspect he would have opportunities to move on if he chooses. And you know that BYU administration and how it works. You think they'll pony up to keep him? Well, it's, Yes and no. I mean, the administration, are, they're locked into what they do, and they have a cap of what they can do, and they're not going to get in an arms race. But then you have the coaches circle. You have other people, uh, you know, Ryan Smith and others that can come back and, and, and make some kind of package available to them. They did take care of Dave Rose when he decided to retire in a way that made it very palatable to him. So you talk about the actual nuts and bolts of the operation. That's one thing. And then you could talk about boosters that come in and can help and make it worth their while to stay. And that's a completely different uh, thing. So, yes, I think they can do that. But I also do think people are going to come after Mark. Uh, they'd be fools not to. There's also the the adage that, you know, they're, they're here at, at the school of their faith. They've got children. They've got young kids growing up. They've got their own athletic programs. Uh, speaking of Mark Pope and, and uh, Chris Burgess, and you know, and they're, they're right in a setting now near their families and their grandparents, and uh, and uncles and aunts, and, and that's important to some people more than traveling. But there's no question if somebody came along and offered a tremendous amount of money, it'd be a great temptation for Mark Pope. And uh, you know, nobody could blame him for for looking and, and testing those waters. But I got, I got to tell you, the, the excitement that you saw again in that Gonzaga game in the Marriott Center with the people that were there. There, the boosters that were on sideline, uh, I don't think they're going to give him up very easy. Yeah. All right, that's basketball. We'll follow that. Like, very excited. You going to Vegas because I'm going to be down there. I expected yeah. these guys to be competing for the conference title uh, next week. So we'll follow that for sure. In the immediacy, and since they don't have a game until uh, next week, we got some spring football going on. Kalani trying to build that program and now, you know, he's been there. Missionaries are coming back. So, I mean, now's the time to get going because you've been there a number of years. What's it, four years going into fifth season? And so there's really no more excuses beyond the excuses that were there when he took the job. And that's the difficulty of recruiting to BYU. We understand that. Uh, with that in mind, what are some storylines you're looking forward to as far as spring ball? Well, I think we're going to look at the defensive assignments by the coaching staff. Is he tweaked that? Is it going to be Eliza Tuiaki, uh, you know, doing everything? Or is there going to split things up a little bit with uh, him and Ed Lamb? And uh, and is he going to be involved there? I think that's one thing to see what's going to happen to that defense. And if they change the front to a 2-4-2, how is that going to affect the, the defensive pass rush? And then the second thing I think is probably the running back situation uh, with Sione uh, Finale having an ACL tear. You got Katoa coming back. You got the Utah transfer there. That that whole thing has to be shored up big time. Have to see the names of the people and how well they do. And then I think uh, Zach Wilson's got to got to take control of this team and. He's got to prove that he has progressed and is progressing enough to get BYU over the hump because the schedule that they have coming up is as tough as any I've seen since Gary Croton's, uh, what was it, 2004, 2005? Um, 2004, yeah. Tough, tough, 
very, very tough, tough schedule. The Carmen Desert News joining us. You talk about Zach Wilson. You know, he had the injury, so you got to account for that. But I'm, I was high on Wilson coming out of high school. And then, you know, when he got a shot as a freshman, I thought he played well. I think to me, he underwhelmed a little bit last year. I expected more of him. I know he got injured and that set him back. No question about it. But and he wasn't healthy really when he came back. But I was disappointed in the San Diego State and Hawaii games. I thought the offense would be better. I thought the defense, uh, you know, obviously the defense against Hawaii struggled. But I think that they had enough to win both of those games and they didn't win either of them. And that left a sour taste in a lot of BYU fans' mouths, including mine. Uh, how much do you believe that Zach can really make that next step forward and assume control, or is it going to be he's going to be pushed by the other two guys? Well, I think in a way, last year, you know, and you're right, I agree with you. I think, I think he needs to be pushed. He needs to be challenged. He needs to come every day to be sharp and to improve. I think we look at last year that it, was, it really was his freshman year because he came in late. Uh, with Tanner Mangum uh, as the starter, didn't really get going, had a few games, five games, did really well in that bowl game, then had surgery, came off of that surgery and wasn't really, I don't think, totally ready to go and had to set out a couple of games when he, when he got hurt uh, at, to, uh, uh, at Toledo. And so he really is, that, that was, could really be said it was his freshman year last year. And so I think this year, you know, I expect him to be far better than he's been, especially in situational uh, awareness. You know, that seemed to get him in a lot of trouble in games where he would kind of lose control of the down and distance or that score and the, the time and, and try to, to win the game himself. And he can't do that. He's got to use everybody. And so I think a mature leader that can make, uh, you know, good decisions under pressure, that's where he'll make his most, um, you know, progress this season. So they've had a couple of high-profile kids get in trouble legally and driving and all that, and Pau last year and Ayu this year. How much heat does that turn up on Kalani when stuff like that happens? Well, I think it does. It always does because whenever the headlines hit and uh, the red phone uh, rings in the office in Salt Lake City and um, you know, they might get a phone call, what, what's going on there and who's in control and what's happening. So every time that happens, but the frustrating thing, uh, I think PK is when it happens to, you know, athletes that are both members of the faith and that those that have served uh, LDS missions and had spent two years of their time uh, teaching certain things and they come home and they, they have failures and they've had a handful of those in the last few months. But in talking to some other coaches and some other programs, you know, they're telling me that the kids this day, even the ones that are members of the faith, they're struggling. And just like anybody else, they have a lot of weaknesses and a lot of challenges, and and uh, they, 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 they worry about those kids. Sometimes a kid from not, not outside the faith that comes here and wants something and, and working a little bit harder, which is really kind of surprising to me. But there are, there are big challenges with our young people, I think, in our community, uh, whether they be of the faith or not of the faith, and that they're going through a transition of this whole uh, generation. Um, but it's very disappointing, I think, to the families of those and to coaching staff when you expect one thing and then you get another thing. It's just almost mind-boggling. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, hope for the best for them when they make these mistakes. I get it, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just afraid sometimes it, it comes down a little too hard on some people who are trying their best and then kids make mistakes and then other people have to have consequences and have to answer for it, and that bothers me to a degree. Yeah, it does, and, and I'm with you, PK, because we're old enough and we've had uh, experience enough as fathers and as grandfathers or, or you know, uncles or aunts, and we've had 
you've had people that have struggled, and it makes it far harder when people judge them in a way that doesn't let them come back in a way that they should. It should be a support system in the community and on a team and on family and that where you you put your arms around and you help them. But sometimes I think in this culture, we make it harder for people to rebound. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I appreciate that. Appreciate you coming on, Dick. I'll see you in Vegas uh, next week. All right. Let's get a tea time. See ya.